The following sermon is from Grace Church East County. More information about Grace Church is available at gracechurcheast.org. Now take your Bibles, please, your Bible app, whatever you have, turn to Exodus chapter 19. Sharon is going to read our passage, and then we'll get started. This morning we're reading Exodus chapter 19, verses 1 through 6. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Sharon. Let's pray real quickly. Holy Spirit, please come fill our hearts and open our minds to the beauty of your word. Amen. I've had marriage on the brain lately. As you can imagine, my oldest son uh, got married. Melanie and I had the joy of watching him and his wife exchange vows, and we, we love the traditional vows that they exchange with each other, as well as promises they specifically wrote for one another. And our passage today is kind of like those wedding vows. And And you know a couple things about wedding vows, right? They're not the entirety of a marriage, are they? They last a minute, minute and a half. But they're based on a relationship that's come before. And they define and invite into a relationship that's coming in the future, right? Wedding vows contain promises and expectations over time, don't they? Each partner makes promises and expects that the other will keep their promises. And our passage today is essentially God's wedding vows to Israel. I don't want to stretch I don't stretch the analogy too far but it's almost like Moses is that preacher standing up in front of a wedding between the bride and the groom saying repeat after me and what we're going to hear today we're listening in on what we might call God's vows to Israel as he makes promises to them and invites them into a deeper relationship with him now I do realize that starting with a wedding illustration for our dear unmarried sisters and brothers might make you check out and be like great We're talking about marriage again, but please check back in if that's you, okay? I hope if you're tuning out, you'll come back in and find yourself in the story because we are not talking about humans getting married to each other. We're talking about the God who loves his image bearers so deeply and connects with each one of us in an intimate way that human marriage can barely echo. Okay, let's dive in. There's a lot to see in these few verses, and here's what I think Yahweh was communicating to the Israelites here in Exodus and what I think he wants us to take away this morning as well. Here's the main idea from this passage. A true relationship with God leads to a transformed response to God. A true relationship with God leads to a transformed response to God. And first, let's let's contemplate that relationship that, that Jehovah promises to his people. There's an if sitting there in verse five. If you're anything like me, it's distracting you right now. And put it aside, we'll come back to that. 
Because God talks to Moses, God sandwiches that if with relationship. That if's like kind of a slice of cheese or piece of bread inside some really good bread of relationship, okay, in a sandwich. The first thing God says to Israel is a reminder of what he's already done for them. You yourselves saw what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. He says, I rescued you. I saved you from the cruel slavery of Egypt. Do you hear how personal, do you hear how tender that language is? I carried you. I brought you to myself, God says. All through the story of Exodus so far, how has God been talking about Israel? What's he been calling them? Do you remember? Over and over again, since Exodus chapter one, God calls them my people. Let my people go. He tells Moses, I'm gonna send you to save my people. They're already in relationship with God, aren't they? They're already in a relationship characterized by love and care and powerful salvation. And that reminder that they have already been rescued, that they're already in a relationship with God, that reminder is critical to what is gonna come next in the book of Exodus and beyond, okay? Before any commands, before anything else happens, God just wants them to remember. Remember the 10 plagues. Remember the Red Sea. Not just to be mentally aware that these things happen in history, but to feel in them his care and his tenderness to them. I think that God wants us, he wants you to feel that care, that tenderness too, to be reminded of your own rescue, your own relationship with him. Just what Christy talked about this morning, that was wonderful. Because what was true of Israel and Egypt is true of every one of us. We begin our lives as slaves of sin under the thumb of a cruel master. We we desperately need someone to set us free, don't we? That's what God has provided to us through his son. Jesus of Nazareth opened his ministry, quoting from the scroll of Isaiah. Do you remember this scene in the synagogue in Nazareth? He enrolls the scroll to the certain passage. He starts reading, and what does Jesus say his mission was? He says, the spirit of the Lord has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. If you're following Jesus this morning, you have been saved from slavery to sin, rescued by his life, death, and resurrection. You're in relationship with the God of the universe right now. Now, if you're new to the idea of Christianity, maybe you can relate to feeling trapped, feeling enslaved to some desire or action that you you wish you could change. This rescue we're talking about is on offer today, right now, yours for the asking if you put your trust in Jesus. Now, as I used to say in TV advertisements, most of you under my age won't recognize this, but wait, there's more, so much more. At this, at this point, what did Israel's relationship with God look like? It looked like dependence. It looked like gratefulness probably, like relief, struggling with trust to be sure, but maybe they were wondering, well, how does Yahweh really feel about us? Sure, he, he rescued us so he could keep his promise to Abraham, great, he, he did that, but, but what about us here in the desert? Where do we stand? And I wonder if that's a question you ever find yourself asking. How does God feel about me? What do I mean to God? 
Well, let's keep going and see how God answered that question for Israel and how he answers it for us in verse five. Verse five, you shall be my treasured possession and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Those two words, treasured possession, they're one single word in Hebrew, it's pronounced segula. And this word refers to the most prized personal possession of a king, like the thing in the deepest part of his treasury, okay? Think of the crown jewels in England, maybe. Or closer to home, think of something like the original copy of the Declaration of Independence or the, the Constitution. And, and we all have something like this in our lives, right? Kids, for the kids, maybe that's their very favorite stuffy, the one that if you leave home without it, you are going back to get it because you are not gonna keep going on that trip without their treasured possession, right? Grownups, what do you have or who do you have that's especially close to your heart? I mean, there is that idea of the crown jewels, right? But this is talking about people. This idea, Scarlett Carmen Imes writes, refers to someone who enjoys a special status in relation to the king, the covenant partner who is especially treasured. And that's what God is telling Israel here. You, children of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, you enjoy a special status with me. You are the ones out of everyone in the world that I love the most. How do you, as I was writing this, how do you think that landed on Israel? How do you think they, they heard that? To have this incredibly powerful God who had just wrecked Egypt sent enough food to feed a million people in the desert and made water enough for them flow out of a rock. This God said he loved them deeply? Three months ago, they were slaves, despised, oppressed, under threat of genocide. And now, this person who appears to be the most powerful being in the universe says that they are the most important thing to him in all the world. It, that probably didn't sink in much at first, which is why God spent a lot of time telling them over and over and showing them over and over how much he loved them. Uh, Melanie, my amazing wife, has been growing some indoor plants this last year, and she's taught me about something called hydrophobic soil, which I didn't know anything about until a few months ago. And that's, that's where the soil becomes resistant to water so if you pour the water on, it just runs off, kind of like a street in a heavy rain that we've had the last couple of weeks. For a potted plant, the way to fix that is you, you put it in a pan of water. You let it soak up the water slowly from the bottom rather than pouring it in from the top. And, and that's a picture of how my heart can be when I hear a verse or a song about God's love. The idea of God loving me just runs right off. Maybe true for other people. Yeah, maybe God loves other people a lot, but, but me, that, that doesn't stick. And I'll bet that's true for you too, unless soaking in God's love is something you do regularly. You know, I, I can look back at my life and go, I don't know why God would want me. The things I've done, like, how does that make me valuable? That's, that's hard when you look back and you're like feeling really condemned by sin. Even harder how about if you think I'm not valuable or God wouldn't want me because of the things that have been done to me? 
That's the heart of shame speaking. And there's nothing any human being can say that's gonna make that go away. In the face of shame, me simply telling you God loves you is just gonna run off like water on dry ground. So let's take a few minutes this morning. Let's slow down and let's soak in God's love for us. How about that? I wanna take a bit of time to just lower our hearts into the water of God's love and just sit there. We need this to soak into our hearts. We need this to soak into our souls, to penetrate deeply. Ready to take a bath? All right, here's a really simple question. Have you believed in Jesus this morning? Have you trusted him as your savior? Simple question. If the answer is yes, listen to what God says about you. Okay, this is in the Apostle Peter's first letter to a group of Jesus followers who are scattered across the Roman Empire, people who had believed in Jesus of Nazareth as their savior, people just like me and just like you. Here's what Peter wrote. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Does that sound familiar? A people for his own possession. Peter is explicitly quoting Exodus chapter 19, our passage this morning, the language of treasured possession to describe the church, to describe us. You, Grace Church, you are a people for God's own possession, okay? No matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, if you're trusting in Jesus Christ as your savior this morning, you are the one that God loves the most. Soak that in. I'm gonna read a few verses here. This may be a bit awkward, but you can try it if you want. Just maybe just close your eyes if you want to and just listen for a minute, just listen. Listen to Yahweh's words in Malachi. He's talking about those who fear him. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. You get this image of God looking for, choosing out the very most precious things to him, collecting them safe and sound. That's you, believer. Listen to Jesus on the last night of his life on earth. He told his disciples, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Or maybe you think, I've done too much against God, sinned too much for him to love me. Listen to the Apostle Paul. God shows his love for us. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Or listen to the Apostle John. What marvelous love the Father has extended to us. Just look at it. We're called children of God. That's who we really are. All right, you can, you can open your eyes like if they were closed. Is, is the reality of God's love soaking into your heart just a bit? If you have one of the note sheets, I put the lyrics to the song, I am your beloved on it because I, I couldn't quote the whole thing in the sermon. There's not enough time, but the bridge of that song is one that's, that's spoken to me since I heard it a few months ago. 
The one who knows me best is the one who loves me most. I've been meditating on that, reminding myself of that truth. The one who knows me best is the one who loves me most. That was true of Israel. God loved them deeply even after three months of complaining and mutiny that we've already heard about. And what was to come, they weren't gonna get any better, spoiler alert. And it's true of you. It's true of us this morning if you're in Christ. No one knows you better than God does. And no one loves you more than God does. So I hope that the soil of your heart is at least a little bit damp right now. You've been able to soak up at least a little bit of God's love for you in Christ. It is, it is incredibly important that our hearts are well watered with this truth of God's love. So how do we do that? What's a little, what's a little bit of application here? Well, here's, here's a few ideas. First, just take songs like we've sung this morning. I am so grateful to Philip for the thoughtfulness he put this set together with. How deep the Father's love. No longer slaves. Rejoice. I'm your beloved. Put them on repeat in your playlist. Music has a powerful way of getting past our brains and right into our hearts, doesn't it? Or here's another one. Meditate on the passages in Scripture where God describes his love for you. Slowly read the Gospels. Just go through them slowly and, and see how Jesus' life demonstrates God's love for you. Here's a third one. Remind your sisters and brothers of God's love for them. As we talk to one another here on Sunday or during the week, let's, let's go around with metaphorical watering cans full of God's love and just, just pour that onto each other's hearts, okay? Just like plants need water and fertilizer to grow, we depend on the nourishment of God's love to help our, to produce growth in our own hearts. And that's the second part of the message this morning, a transformed response to God. Okay, remember how verse five started. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession. And that if can be a real challenge for me. It makes me immediately insecure because I hear, I hear God say, if you obey my voice and I think, ooh, ooh, am I vague enough? Am I doing enough to keep God's covenant? What, what happens if I don't? Folks, if we misunderstand what is going on here, it can cause some deep uncertainty in our relationship with God. So I wanna be, I wanna be careful in how I communicate this. And I'm sure I won't do the best I can, so come talk to me afterwards. We do have to honor God's word here and in the New Testament. Jesus does call us to obey. He calls us to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. That is in the scripture. The book of 1 John is all about this idea. Just go read it and soak in that one. It's, it's amazing. But I wanna help us think differently about what God is calling Israel to here when he says obey. I wanna think about the word obey a little bit differently here. Remember that this command, which I think we could just as easily call an invitation to respond, is sandwiched inside of relationship, right? Here's how I want you to think about obedience this morning. Not so much as keeping a list of rules, but more about responding to the relationship that we're already in. All right, think about obedience. Not so much as keeping a list of rules, but 
about responding to the relationship that we're already in, responding to the love that we've already received. Think about it for a minute. What what does it look like? What does it feel like in relationships if you don't respond that way to the person you're in relationship with? When I don't relate to my friend, my spouse, my parent, my child in a way that honors their desires. I don't experience the full depths of that relationship, do I? They don't draw close to me. There's, there's an old blog post by a writer named Matthew Frey that has really stuck with me uh, all these years. I don't always remember it and act on it the way I should, and that's a whole other sermon. But this article is entitled, and I'm not making light of this, this article is entitled, She Divorced Me Because I Left My Glass on the Sink. Okay, this, this is a powerful article. Go look it up afterwards. I'm telling you, this is a powerful article. But Frey recounts how he would always leave his glass on the sink at night, inches from the dishwasher, instead of putting it away. No matter how often his wife asked him, no matter how often she said, hey, could you just put your glass in the dishwasher, please? He says, I just didn't care about the glass. It didn't matter to him. And he realized too late that continuing that relationship with his wife, he had to respond to her desires her instruction to put the glass into the dishwasher. And I mean, I gotta be honest, like that's how I naturally act. Can you relate to, take, to not take someone else's desires very seriously, to put my own desires first? That's why I need a transformed response. I need to be transformed by God's love for me so that I can respond in love. Now, why do I keep talking about responding in love as a synonym for obeying? Because I know that when I hear obey, I'm looking for the list of rules. Just give me the checklist, man, and we'll go down it. But when Moses expanded on God's commands to Israel 40 years later to a whole new generation, he described obeying God as loving him. He said things like, you obey God by loving him. He equated the two. When Jesus was asked, what are the two greatest commandments? What are the two rules to follow? What was his response? Love God and love your neighbor. Obedience is love's response to God's love for you. That's what obedience is. Obedience is not a checklist. It is love's response to God's love for you. It's easy to read this passage as you're treasured if you're obedient, but we don't obey in order to be loved. We obey because we're loved. The apostle John wrote, we love because he first loved us. Commentator Jay Sklar puts it like this. This is like the Lord's marriage proposal to Israel. If you enter into a faithful marriage with me, you will experience a husband who will guard you, watch over you, and view you as his treasured possession. That is not a promise. Listen, listen closely now, and I will say it twice. That is not a promise to earn love. That is a promise to experience love. Exodus 19.5 is not a promise to earn love by obeying. It is a promise to experience love by responding out of love 
to God. Here's just one way Jesus talked about this with his disciples the night before he was crucified. John 14, 23, I just, I love this picture. Jesus says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. That's our response. That's a transformed response out of love. And my father will love him. And this is the incredible part. We will come to him, make our home with him. The God of the universe is going to move in with us in our hearts through his spirit. That is an incredible experience of love. So does that make you feel differently about God's call to obey his voice in this passage? This promise that if we obey the voice of our loving God, he's going to move in with us. We will experience his love in deeper ways. And look, I, I wanna be careful here. I'm not saying, I'm not saying that if you're not experiencing God's love as deeply as you would like to be, that you must not be obeying him. That's not what I'm saying. It's possible that that's the case and the Holy Spirit will gently and kindly convict you if it is. But mainly, I'm trying to shift our idea of obeying from keeping a list of rules to loving God back, okay? That's, what I want, that's how I want you to think about obedience, just simply loving God back. I wanna talk about this with sensitivity. If, if to this point you're feeling discouraged, if you're feeling condemned, if you're feeling convicted, please come talk to me, talk to the elders, talk to someone close to you after the service. God's word is not meant to be a burden to us. Now, earlier I said we needed to have the truth of God's love for us soak deeply into our hearts, but I didn't say why. I just made a, I made a statement without backing it up. Well, here's one reason why. It's experiencing God's love that transforms how we respond to him. It's experiencing the love of God for us that transforms my response to him, okay? Think about life before following Jesus. Can you remember how you responded to God? I can. I remember writing a letter to my dad one summer in college, towards the end of my college year. In fact, this was the summer that, that God finally saved me. But I remember writing a letter to my dad saying, I know what I'm doing is wrong, but I'm enjoying it and I'm gonna keep doing it. That's a response of someone who has not experienced God's transforming love. I don't care what you say. I don't care what God says. I'm gonna keep doing my own thing. And even though we're believers who are being sanctified, who are being made holy, don't we find change difficult? Change from disobedience, from going my own way to following God's way. I mean, I've experienced so much discouragement in my own life at how slowly change seems to come, how to unlock the secret of transformation and release from the sins that cling so closely to me as, as the book of Hebrews says. And you know, unfortunately, there's no, you know, there's no seven-step book or no three-step self-help checklist that's gonna help that transformation come. But recently, through very slowly growing maturity, through helpful books like Gentle and Lowly, through the encouragement of my sisters and brothers, through songs like the ones we've sung today, I've begun to experience more of God's love for me. Instead of, instead of picturing him as a disappointed father, keeping track of all my wrongdoings, I'm experiencing him as the one who loves me, who cares deeply for me, and that is bringing about the transformation 
the change in my life that I've been looking for all along. That's what's making the difference. As I'm experiencing my relationship to God as treasured possession, as loved child, my heart is slowly responding to that relationship out of love instead of duty or out of guilt, growing more and more able to respond to my lover as he desires, learning to bring my angry responses to my family, my my selfish indulgence and lust, whatever my sin is, to bring those to God and ask him to transform my response to his commands. So my friend Lindsay to put, says, to look at temptation and say, that's not treasure, that's trash. That's a transformed response that only comes through experiencing God's love for us. You know, the blog writer I mentioned earlier went on to say, when you choose to love someone, it becomes your pleasure to do things that enhance their lives and bring you closer together rather than a chore. Do you hear the contrast there? Pleasure versus chore. What makes the difference? In his case, it was his choice to love his spouse. How much more in our case when the eternal God, the creator of a trillion stars and galaxies has chosen to love us? How much more of a pleasure will it be to respond in love to that God? You guys thinking about obedience a bit differently now? Not effort, but response. Not duty, but delight. Not earning love, but experiencing love. You know, unfortunately, as Israel demonstrated almost immediately, it's not gonna take them long. In the stories that follow, obedience Even obedience responding to the love of the eternal God is just not possible left to ourselves. In fact, it was that failure to respond to a loving creator, disobedience, that plunged Adam and Eve into sin that broke their relationship with God in the first place, which is why we needed Jesus to come, like we sang about this morning, to obey his Father's will perfectly in the place of his people, to to respond more completely than anyone ever had or anyone ever will to his Father's love. Jesus, through his death and his resurrection, brought a new covenant to reality for his people, for us. And the seal of that covenant is the Holy Spirit who's poured out into our hearts like water being poured into thirsty soil. That same Holy Spirit who lives in each one of us today who are part of God's family. Now, now as our hearts are being changed by the work of the Holy Spirit, we have God's power at work to obey God's voice, to obey our our Father's voice, Not not some impersonal deity named God away from here, right? Our Father's voice, our lover's voice. It's not a duty, it's a delight. We do this imperfectly to be sure. But our obedience, our love for God grows over time. And one thing that will help it grow the most is grasping, is feeling, is knowing deep down how deep God's love for you actually is. We sang about this morning, how deep the Father's love for us, that he would give his only son to make us his treasure. That, that more than anything else will transform our response to our loving Father. 
And I'm sure as I've been talking, that area of your life is popping up in your head, right? What is it? That's that behavior, that, that attitude, that response that you wish would change, that you've been trying to and can't. What is it? Bitterness? Is it anger? Is it selfishness? Is it lust? Or maybe it's not sin. It's just an area of your life you want to see change in in relationship to God. Maybe it's wanting to spend more time with him in prayer or in the word or whatever it is. Whatever that thing is that's on your mind right now, just bring that to God and let the water of his love pour over that and over your heart so that your response in that particular area becomes transformed as a response to his love. I want to invite the music team back up. We'll invite the Lord's Supper servers can come as well. And as they do, let's respond to God's good word to us this morning. Just, just take a few moments of quiet before we pray and take the Lord's Supper and hear God's voice remind you of your relationship with him. You are my treasured possession. You are my chosen people. Let that relationship nourish your heart and transform your response to God's voice. Father, it is impossible for us to thank you enough for the love you have bestowed on us through your son and made real in our hearts through your Holy Spirit. Oh, we can just say with the apostle John, just look at what kind of love the father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your transforming love that changes our hearts, makes us respond to you out of love. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church East County. Please find us online at gracechurcheast.org if you would like to find out more about us.